We are in Luke chapter 6, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We started last week looking at Luke's, uh, Luke's version or of the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, whether they were the same uh, event or two different events, uh, up for debate, but uh, not really terribly important. Uh, Luke gives us this first major teaching block uh, of Jesus, like one of the things we've noticed over and over in Luke's gospel is he'll say, and Jesus was teaching, and then he goes right on and talks about something else that happened, and he never tells us what Jesus was teaching. And we found that a little annoying. Well, Luke finally has come through for us, and he has given us the teaching that, that Jesus offered this one day. Now, last week, we said there's kind of three main big ideas that, that, that we can take out of this whole thing, and we'll unpack these uh, these are kind of unpacked in the whole thing. We're just looking at a small portion of this today. But the first one is that sustained obedience secures a satisfied life. And we'll see that at the end. Uh, Al Pauls will be preaching on this in two weeks where, you know, build your house on the rock, not on the sand. And it comes out of hearing the word of Christ and putting it into practice, right? Not just hearing it, but actually living it out. So a sustained obedience secures a satisfied life. A fruitful life is a faithful life, where, where we see that, that, that through living this out, the fruit that comes out of our lives is because we're being faithful to God and his call on our life. And then what we'll look at today is how we love is how we thrive. How we love is how we thrive. And we'll look at this whole radical idea that Jesus says, love your enemies, Love your enemies. So let's read this passage together. Let's stand together and we will read the entire sermon so that we're putting it all in context. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive... What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be called sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. 
Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they, both, will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. But when the stream broke against it, Immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts and lays bare our intentions. Thank you that your word speaks truth and life. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son come from the father, full of grace and truth. So this morning, Lord, as we look at your word, as we look at your instruction, which is hard for us to accept and hard for us to make sense of, may we know that you are speaking in love and grace and truth so that our lives can be lived to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so, Lord, may we see this as as a way, as, as, as an implication, as an outgrowth of the abundant life that you have called us to live. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to what you have to say to your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're looking at this command to love our enemies. Well, you got to be close enough for them to actually hit you. This isn't distant enemies. This, you know, back, back in this day, you didn't really know much about the geopolitical world outside of 
like the immediate stuff. I mean, there's no news, there's no internet, there's no phone, there's no radio. There's, there's no way to get news from the rest of the world. You only kind of know the world you're living in right now. That's it. You wouldn't know anything else that's going on in the world. I mean, at this point, there, there was an Egyptian mathematician who had theorized the existence of the North American continent, but for them, they didn't know that that existed at the time. They had, that had, you know, their world was pretty small. A lot of this is relational. Well, this is, and why this teaching is so necessary is that it assumes, one, it assumes you have enemies, right? It kind of makes an assumption here. There's going to be people in your life that don't like you. <laughs> this is just reality, right? We, we know this. Uh, there, there's going to be things that come against you. There's going to be people that just really rub you the wrong way and vice versa. You know, there's a two-way street on all of this. Relationships are difficult, even in the best of situations. Right? So that's why this is so necessary. I want to look at this, uh, look at this passage through three kind of headings uh, this morning. One, the requirement to love, the reason to love, and the resources to love. So we've got a requirement, reasons, and resources to love the way Jesus is calling us to. First of all, the requirement to love. Love your enemies, pray, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And, and, and actually, here, here's, the, here's all the commands in this passage. Love, do good, bless, pray, offer, give, do not withhold, do not demand back, Love, do good, land, and be merciful. Just command after command. So this is a requirement here. These are commands. And so three things about these commands we kind of need to know. First, it's a present command, present tense. In Greek, there's two, uh, there's two tenses for command. There is the past, or, or it's not even really time, time-based, it's a one-time command, do this one thing at this one time. That's one kind of command. Then there's another kind of command that is keep on doing this and don't stop doing it. Guess what all of these commands are in this passage? Present. Do it all the time. Keep doing it. Continue to love. Continue to pray. Continually bless. Continually offer continually give over and over and over again, even if that enemy stays your enemy. It doesn't stop. It's present tense. It's continual, ongoing action. Second aspect of this, of all of these commands, is that they are in the active voice. In Greek, there's two kinds of voices. There is the active and the passive. Passive is you just hang around and hope it happens, or somebody else helps you along or does it for you. Then there's the active command that means you have to personally initiate and do the thing. These are all actives. Present, continual, active, you take initiative, you do the thing. Nobody's going to pray for you, nobody's going to love for you, nobody's going to bless somebody else for you, you have to actually do it. 
It's present, it's active, it's imperative. This is the language of command, not suggestion, not uh, wishing that this is something you might do if you feel so inclined. This is a command. It's a command to actively and always pursue these things. And it's really impossible. When we get down to it, these imperatives, these calls to action are impossible. It's, it's never easy to do this, right? Like, just, just think of this and th- think of it. I mean, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, bless those who curse you. Blessing and cursing are, are, are verbal things that, that, that you speak to, to other people or speak over other people. You speak a blessing over maybe your family, your children, your, your church, your coworkers. You speak, you speak blessing or you speak cursing. And our words are so powerful. So powerful. Words can be so powerful. There's a, a, a story, um, story of a young man who, um, or, or, or a teacher, actually, he was a teacher. I'll get to the young man as part of the story. There's this teacher who was trying to teach, I think it was a math, some advanced math things, and students weren't getting it, and they were getting on each other's nerves. And, and, and the class was, the whole week, it was just a really difficult week, and, and students were at each other, they were calling each other down and all this other stuff, and it was really nitpicky, and the teacher just Friday said, okay, stop everything. Take out a blank piece of paper. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to write the names of everybody in the class and then write one nice thing about them. And then hand those in at the end of class. That's all we're doing today. And what that teacher did is she then took all of those things home and she copied out for every student all the nice things that their classmates said about them. Came back Monday morning, handed these papers back out. Nothing was said, nothing happened after that. A number of years later, this teacher was coming back to visit and uh, she got in, into the car. She had long ago left the school and retired or something. She came back and uh, uh, came back and her parents told her, hey, I remember this kid? I can't remember his name uh, right now. Um, he was in your class. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I, I remember him. Um, he was in the military, he was sent to Afghanistan and he was killed in action. And his parents asked you to come uh, and see them because he had something in his wallet that he had kept with him. And it was the list of everything that his classmates in high school said nice about him. And he kept that, and it was on him when he was killed in action. And it, and it was a piece of paper that had been unfolded and refolded, and the creases was barely hanging together because he had looked at it so many, so many times. You know, sometimes we just, we just need that encouragement. We, ju- we just need that, hey, here's what you're good at. Here's how you're valued. And we can live, it can change our lives and it can be something that centers us. 
Let's see, this, this call to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, it's impossible until we know how deeply we are loved by God. So we're going to come back to that over and over today because I think this is the crux. This is the, the heartbeat of it all because this, this kind of love and this kind of relational sacrifice is only, is only possible when we, one, know how much we need the grace of God ourselves. That while we were dead in our transgressions and sins, while we were enemies with God, while we were the ones who put him on the cross, he loved himself and gave himself for us so that we could have a relationship with him. Jesus lived this out 100%. And until we know that we needed that kind of love, that he loved his enemies, and that's me, that's everyone in this room, that he did good to those who hated him, and that's me and everyone in this room. And that he prayed for those who would abuse him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We won't be able to even start to live this out. He offered the other cheek. His cloak was taken. His tunic was stripped from his body. He gave without ever expecting anything back. And that's the only way we get to the heart of what this is all about. So if we truly know how deeply we need the grace of God, and then we can live it out for other people. The imperatives require action, continual action. Not withdrawal from relationship, not passivity, not indifference, and not denial of the pain that is going on when we're experiencing this but active engagement to do the opposite. Now, a couple warnings here. Scott McKnight in his commentary says, this is, not, this is not a call to tolerate abuse and to stay in a relationship that's abusive. It is not that. Nor is it about giving up all our possessions. This is, in many ways, it's very hyperbole that kingdom people are to love the difficult to love, the most difficult to love, and to be generous so that we can reflect the character of God. It's never easy. It can't be easy. Jesus lived it. Can you just think of some of the things that Jesus had to experience, not only in the crucifixion, but his best friend denied him three times. A, a, a Judas, who walked with him, who, who ministered under him, for three years, turns on him and betrays him. It's never easy. It can't be. It calls us to a higher level of relationship that we, than we are even humanly capable of living out. And in verse 31, we have this, the golden rule, as it were. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. I'm going to say that's not very groundbreaking. Almost every religion and philosophy has that in it to some, some element of it. Every one of those states it in the negative, however. Every other religion, every other philosophical system will state it this way. Do not do to somebody else what you would not want them to do to you. Well, isn't that the same thing? No, because that's very passive. That's just saying, well, 
I'm just not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna go near you. This says do to others what you would want them to do to you. It's active. It's taking initiative. It's, it's going out of your way to do something for somebody else before they even do it to you. <laughs> so logical human analogy is that we just, you know, treat others the way we want to be treated. And that's, that's a good rule to live by, but Jesus is kind of upping. He's raising the bar pretty high here, isn't he? Like the bar's pretty high. <laughs> it's insanely high. I've been listening to a series of sermons from the book of Romans by, uh, uh, by Tim Keller, and he references this, uh, I can't remember, older, older pastor, I think from the 1800s. Well, couldn't be 1800s because it's talking about a tape recorder. Let's say 1950s or something. Um, <clears throat> but when you get to Romans chapter 2, it says, you know, you, you who have the law, you know, when you, you're doing things that are against the law, and those who don't have the law, uh, they'll be judged for how they lived, and he said, this, here's, the, here's the illustration. Imagine that you have a tape recorder on your back, and this is on you all your life, and the only thing it records is your expectations of other people. And then you get to heaven, and God says, well, you didn't know the scriptures, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take your expectations of what you had for other people to be and do for you and I will judge you according to your expectations of other people. So what do you expect of others? What if that was used to judge how, how you're navigating life? Or how you're interacting with people? Because we often have higher expectations of others and we have excuses for why we don't do stuff. And we have expectations for how others need to behave and live life. And we have reasons why we can't quite do it that way. Sometimes, one of the things we need to see in all of this, is even while Jesus is commanding his followers, because he's talking to disciples here, to love, do good, and to bless, and to pray, and to offer, and to give, and, and be merciful, is that we're the enemies we're the haters, we're the accusers, we're the cursers, we're the abusers. And we need the grace of God so deeply and desperately. It's a requirement to love our enemies. It's continual, it's active, it's imperative. The reason we must love our enemies, why we must do this, consider Consider your desires. What you wish that others would experience, just live into that. You want to have a blessed life. You want to have a, a, a life where, where people love you, where they do good, where they, where they pray for you, where they offer, uh, they, they, they sacrifice for, for you. Then, then be a person that does that as well but don't do it expecting anything in return. That's the next part, consider your losses. Consider what you lose if you live this out just on the human level. Verse 32 to 34. And this is just a pattern, right? If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who 
do good to you? What benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So there's a, there's a pattern, there's a rhythm there, right? If you do this, what benefit is that to you? Don't sinners ever, sinners do this too. So if it's all about a reciprocal relationship where you get what you put into it, that's just normal, right? Everybody does that to some level. It's the, it's the I scratch your back, you scratch mine relationship, right? I'll go out of my way to do this, you better go out of your way to do that. And we keep track of those things, don't we? There's a little scorecard. You know, and we'll bring it up, right? Well, I didn't, I came and I did this for you and I helped you move three times and now it's my turn to move and you didn't load the truck. Right? We keep, we keep those things in our brains. This is how we're tempted to live. It's, it's if I'm going to invest myself, I need a guaranteed return on investment. That determines a relationship. That's how this is going to work. It's conditional. It requires that the other takes, takes just as much as initiative as me. Uh, I, I want assurances on my return. I want to know the risks involved, and I want to try to decrease the risk as much as possible. This is human, and this is natural. You know, everybody can love and do good and lend. <clears throat> That's not the problem. Loving, doing good, and lending is stuff anybody can do. Yeah, remember a song by Sting in the 1980s, middle of the Cold War, it was called, What If the Russians Love Their Children Too? Kind of applies today again, right? You know, what if they're just as concerned about their children and their children's children, and they're, they're, they absolutely love their kids? It's not like, you know, communists are these hard-nosed, don't care about anything but blowing other people up thing. You know, maybe they love their kids just as much as we do. You know, on a human level, we can do all this stuff, but can we do it without expecting a return? I think that's very, very, very difficult. Even sinners lend to sinners. So consider your losses. What benefit is that to you? It, it assumes and it suggests that there's a benefit to loving and doing good and lending and it's a, there is more benefit in that for us if we do it with the heart that Jesus is calling us to live it out under. When we're loving enemies, doing good to those who hate you, giving to those who can't repay us, and on it goes. There, there is a benefit to us. And we'll get to that in a minute. But consider what you're going to lose if it's all about a reciprocal relationship. Because what begins to happen here is then all relationships become utilitarian. How can I use you to get what I want? How can I invest in this so that I get a benefit out of it? And that's shallow, and that's not the kind of relationships Jesus wants us to live out or live in. That's not what he created us for as relational beings. This is a new radical way to be human. It is a kingdom people set apart that will love, that will give, that will bless, that will pray, even in the face of persecution. 
and especially it will be revealed then. So consider your losses, consider your desires of having done to you what you would do to others, and then consider, in the midst of this all, consider God's character. That comes at the very end of this. Be merciful even as your heavenly Father is merciful. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That doesn't sound like a balanced relationship to me. That's not a, I'll do this for you and you better measure up to the same level of love and sacrifice that I have for you. It's not a balanced, God doesn't come to us with a balanced offer. He says, I'm gonna give up absolutely everything so we can have relationship together and all you have to do is love me and trust me. Come to me. You see, God cannot love you any more or any less based on your performance. He only loves you to the extent that you see Christ on the cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outlove God. You cannot outdo the, in doing good to others. You cannot outdo the offer or the giving or the doing good, or the being merciful. And he has done that for every single one of us. And that's the benchmark. Consider God's character. The requirement to love, ongoing, active, imperative. The reasons, because there's something in, in, in doing this that, that creates great benefit for us. It's a reflection of God's character. Well, how on earth do we live this out? How does this become active in our lives? What are the resources we need? Verse 35, 36. Look at this again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expect nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your heavenly Father is merciful. So first, reckon your reward. Do these things and your reward will be great. Well, what's the reward? <laughs> kind of undefined here. I'd suggest this, it's a reward of a life free of anger and bitterness, and envy, and vengeance, and malice, and it's a heart open to loving people regardless of how they respond to you. And that's a life of freedom. That's a life that can be joyful in affliction, patient in trials. It's an open-hearted way to live. That's the reward. Reckon on your reward. What is it going to there, there is a benefit to all this. That's what he talked about in verses 32 to 34. There's a benefit to living out what I'm calling you to live, Jesus said. And it's a life free from all the weight of having to get back and to fight the enemies all the time and to, and to make them pay because it's never, it's never equal, is it? It's never equal. It's like... 
you put something in the way that tripped me, well, I'm going to punch you in the face. Like, I mean, that, the risk, it's always, it always escalates, doesn't it? Right? And like, you bomb Pearl Harbor, we're going to drop two nuclear bombs on two, in two cities. It always escalates. It always gets worse. That's what human, the human heart does. That's what sin pulls us into. It's getting back so we can stay on top, that we can, you know, I'm oppressed. Well, I'm going to get back at my oppressor to the point where I'm the oppressor of the oppressor. <laughs> right? It's this nasty cycle in the human heart that just wants control. The reward of living, what Jesus is calling here, is it frees us from that because this is the way of the Spirit and this is the heart of the Father for his creation. That's the reward. Reckon on your identity. It's the second thing. Reckon your reward, reckon on your identity, and you will be sons of the Most High. Now, this is not saying you'll only be saved if you do this stuff. This is a living out of your identity as children of God. You'll be known as this. This is embodying the Father's heart. This is living out in experientially in relationships how God has loved us. It's being like him and reflecting his character. For, and then there's a reason for this. For, circle that word, verse 35, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Matthew's uh, Sermon on the Mount, the end of chapter five, expands on this quite a bit. You know, he sends his rain on the just and the unjust and, and causes the earth, you know, there's all these things that are going on that are all because of the mercy and the grace and the love of God that happen throughout creation. And that's all because of the mercy and love of God. So in your relationships with one another, live that out as well. It's hard, it's difficult, but that's what he's calling us to. You want to be a radical, rebel, countercultural? Live this out. Live out loving your enemy, doing good, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who abuse you, offering to those who take away, giving to everyone who begs, loving, doing good, lending, and being merciful. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The nature and the character of God defines and determines the nature and the character of what obedient living looks like. God took the first step. for us, and we are to take the first step in our relationships with others. Scott McKnight in his commentary says, holistic redemption expands our capacity to love not only our affinity group, but those outside such groups. Another one from uh, John Howard Yoder, a, a Mennonite writer, said this, just as God's love is unlimited, so our love must refuse to be fenced in by the limits of human solidarity. This is living out our identity in Christ so that we can love those who are unlove, un, from a human perspective, are unlovable, that, that grate us, that, that wear us down. It's more than an, an inversion of cultural practice, though it is definitely that. This was making, this was setting the bar way higher than anybody in Jesus' day would have set it. Even the, the, the group that went off and hid in the desert and wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had 
kind of, you know, love those who are in our camp and hate everybody else. That was kind of their modus operandi, right? And, and this kind of, this was all over the place. But this is more than just an, an inversion of cultural practice. It's an inversion of the human heart and reflexes because a sinful nature rejects these demands of Jesus as wishful thinking, as utopian, as unrealistic, or even irresponsible and dangerous. And, and the sinful nature does that because we don't fully, deeply realize and appreciate that Jesus came and died for us while we were his enemies. That while we were cursing him, abusing him, striking him, humiliating him, he came and died for us. Romans 5, 6, and 8, I come back to this passage a lot. No great, you know, uh, John says, no greater love has anyone than this than a man lay down his life for his friend. Romans 5, uh, 6 to 8. Now turn there. And we, we, we reference this one a lot, but we need to see it too. We need to see that these words are on the page written for us. Many of us will have this memorized, but it's got to sink, it's got to get into our hearts. Well, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus lived this for us so that we can live this out in our daily lives. But it is only when we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. When as 2 Corinthians says, when the, the, the new creation has come, the old has passed away. And remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the new and the old. The new wine and old wineskins doesn't work. You can't you can't try to put this into just human endeavor, human will, human heart, uh, trying hard to love people that don't love you. If, if you do that, it's going to ruin it all. It'll destroy you, and it'll destroy the gospel. This has to come from the Holy Spirit making us alive in Christ because we know that we are the sinners who can only love to the degree that humans can. But this call is to love out of our identity in Christ and that his spirit has made us alive in him and that we're new creations in him and that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we come to that just amazing reality that the gospel sets us free from all of the pressures to perform and to get it right and we're just loved by him, and we can love other people who are letting us down too because we've let God down. That's the heart. It's a change of heart, not a change of mind that needs to happen here. An absolute change of heart. 
To love our enemies is a requirement, present, active, imperative. To love our enemies as a reason. Our relationships will be shallow and utilitarian if all we do is love people who will love us back to the same degree. And we won't reflect God's character in our relationships. The resources are God himself and the gospel. That's the only way we can live this out. There is no other way we can do this. It's a radical, divine, empowered reality that only those who have the Spirit of God living in them can possibly live out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that apart from you, we can do nothing. That while we were dead in our sins and transgressions, you made us alive together in Christ Jesus. That you have destroyed the wall of hostility between people groups. And in Ephesians, Paul's thinking Jew and Gentile, but we think bigger and beyond that. You destroyed the wall of hostility between individuals and people. Your love is so high and deep and wide and long in love that it is just unknowable. And yet you call us and Paul prays for us to experience that love that's just unknowable, to know the love that defies knowing and to be found in Christ and have the glory of God manifest in our lives. Oh Lord, this is a hard teaching. Who can bear it? You have the words of eternal life, so we're not going to turn anywhere else. We're going to continue to come back to you because only you can show us how to live this out. Only you have the resources that we need to live beyond our self-centered lives that seek revenge, seek payback, seek recompense. Lord, thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve that you offered your son as an eternal sacrifice for our sins so we can have a relationship with you. So Lord Jesus, may you just overwhelm us with the reality that you love us, you love us, you love us, and you have given yourself for us and that there is no greater love that we could ever know but then to have your love in our hearts and then flowing out to others. Lord, may we... May we as a people just live out of that love that you have for us, knowing that we can't create this on our own, but you created in us. So Lord, fill your people with the wonder and the awe and the worship that is due your name because of what you have done to draw us back to yourself and to make us your children, no longer objects of your wrath, but adopted into your family, welcomed as the beloved, embraced as the prodigal, celebrated, wept over, embraced, restored. Oh Lord, there's greater celebration in heaven than when one sinner turns to you than for the 99 who don't need repentance and that's an amazing thing. So Lord, turn our hearts to you. Overwhelm us with your goodness. 
overwhelm us with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.